DJ and PK is brought to you by WCF Insurance, reminding you to be careful out there. Time to bring in Ben Anderson, Utah Jazz writer for KSLSports.com. Ben, good morning. Howdy, guys. So, a lot of cool things happened in that playoff game. Donovan Mitchell going for 57, overtime, the shootout down the stretch, the way Mitchell turned it on in the second quarter when the Jazz had a chance to get blown out after he'd had a bad first quarter, and he made sure that they were right there and slugging it out in the second quarter and setting the tone. But if you had to pick one thing, what's really stuck with you out of that game? Well, I mean, the 57 points are going to last for probably – I mean, I I don't know if we're at a point where it's going to be a number that doesn't get reached again. I mean, clearly we see guys like Damian Lillard who will hit 50 points eight times in a season and can turn it on and could easily, honestly, get to 57 against this Lakers team who doesn't have a great perimeter defender right now. So I think it's significant. I think that's the number we're going to see because it's so hard to reach. I don't think it's going to be number three on this list the way right now it's Michael Jordan and Elgin Baylor and Charles Barkley and, and Will Chamberlain. I don't think we're going to see that last as long as those numbers have since 1986. How much better have you seen Mitchell get here in the last couple of weeks? Uh, I think he's healthy. I mean, I think that's really the majority of what it is. I think late in the uh, before the suspension of the NBA season, I think his legs looked tired. I mean, the double clutch dunk that he had last night was just not something I think Jazz fans had seen for a long time. The way he's tried to jump for some putback dunks. You remember early in his career against the Lakers when he kind of had that big breakout moment with the dunk and then the steal and the three-point shot. He he hadn't done that in February. And I don't know if it's All-Star game. I don't know if it was last summer he was still working and just kind of hasn't had time off because he went and played in Australia and then went and played in China. I, I don't know if he's had four months off from basketball and I'm sure it's not the four months he wanted to have off but I think he's just come back and is fresh and I think he's just such a different player when he's fresh which is so much of why the Jazz have worked to put players around him that can limit his load management it also seems like for a lot of NBA players that was the offseason but in a normal offseason you know they get their own time away from coaches this was an offseason where coaches could still you know talk with them about video breakdown situations and all that kind of stuff you know work on the on the uh, the basketball IQ for lack of a better phrase and that seems to be paying off for multiple players. We've had multiple guests on and said, hey, you know, this is how the Clippers use the time. Uh, you know, clearly in, uh, in Denver, they got a young star on the rise and it benefited him. The Jazz have a young team that benefits a guy they got here in their third year. It seems like it's kind of a one-off. I don't know that it's going to happen again, but it seems like a lot of guys benefited from it. Yeah, I mean, and maybe specifically with young guys, I was curious how this was going to look if we were going to have rookies who came back and looked like sophomores and sophomores who came back and looked like third-year players and if they would have this weird jump. And maybe that's what Donovan Mitchell is doing right now. Maybe he is having this enormous jump. But I think the evidence against that is that you're having Mike Conley play significantly better, and maybe that's just the absence of a guy like Boyan Bogdanovich. But it does seem like, whether it's freshness, whether it was the ability to re, just kind of get your mind back in the game in a different way, knowing you, you have a sprint for one of the first times in your life and not a marathon that's the NBA season that the playoffs end after. Maybe that's why we're seeing this significantly higher level of play, but I, I do think there's certainly something about the break and the way the players kind of step back mid-season and come back and look at what worked well and then fix it on this back end that has produced, honestly, I think really good basketball. And also, Maybe it's just the, the lack of pressure of having fans in the arena because look at shot-making late in games. It looks like shot-making in a scrimmage when guys are running around and not playing a lot of defense, and they are still playing defense, and they're hitting these crazy shots, 
I wonder if with less pressure of having fans there and every play feeling like it hangs on uh, in the balance because there's not that loud crowd noise, if we're seeing better performances. And that goes back to, you know, the, the Dallas-Portland game where those two were just exchanging unbelievable shots late and Damian Lillard going for 40 and 50 and 60. I, I wonder if some of that is what we're seeing. From the Jazz perspective, how much can you rationalize, hey, we had them right there, we let it slip away on a night in which they shot 50% from three. And so they're not going to do that that much, so we're in a good spot. I think you can do part of that. It's hard to say that and then also say, not say, well, Donovan Mitchell had 57 and you still didn't win that game. And I'm sure Denver will look at that and say, as long as we don't let him go off for 57, no one else on that roster is going to beat you offensively. So I think that's that's kind of a two-way street. But I think in the sense for the Jazz, there's certainly a lot to take from that that worked. And, you know, even Jamal Murray's not going to go 8 for 10 over the last eight minutes, including at one point over a two-minute stretch. He was accountable for 15 points from the 313 mark to the one-minute mark of the fourth quarter. That's not going to happen again. So you don't have to worry about that. They're not going to go four for four in overtime from the three-point line. I don't think you have to worry about that as much. And it is a make-or-miss league, as cliche and as annoying as that saying is. They made, and the Jazz didn't make enough last night, whether that was Jordan Clarkson and George Niang and Royce O'Neal combining to go three of 16 from the three-point line. Uh, They just didn't get enough shots to fall when they needed them, and and, and that was an issue. And the problem is they can do that again. You know, There's no guarantee that they come back and, and go eight of 16 tomorrow. And that is the problem. I do think you probably feel pretty safe that Denver's not going to set another franchise record by hitting 22 threes in the next game. You know what else isn't going to happen? Jordan Clarkson isn't going to slip and fall, get up, (laughs) get away with a push-off, by the way. That was totally an extended forearm. He just got away with it. And then hit a ridiculous three fading away off one leg. That's not happening either. I actually don't know if that's true because he he does that seemingly (laughs) once every three or four games. He had another possession. I'm sure you remember. He probably spent 20 seconds on the clock dribbling, and he did the probe dribble, and then he came back out and then turned Mm -hmm. around and spun around and then dribbled back into the paint and did a little thing where he likes to run in. He has a defender's momentum on his hip, and then he kind of stops and turns around and throws in an easy little push shot. I mean, he's, he's really an incredibly skilled offensive player. He might be the Jazz' most skilled offensive player. He's not as effective as Donovan Mitchell, but the number of moves he has just by being in the NBA so long and his kind of weird body type that forces him to do certain things uh, has, has made him develop this kind of weird skill set similar to what you know Nikola Jokic has, an unbelievable skill set, just because his weird body type has forced him to shoot these one-footers. Jordan Clarkson really has a crazy shot-making ability and, and maybe the, small, or the, the weirdest conscience of anyone on the Jazz who's willing to take a shot like that. The definition of point guard has changed dramatically over the last several years, obviously. But we see Mitchell embracing this role, especially with Conley out. Is that something they should do long term? Yeah, uh, it should be. And it, it's going to make – I'll be curious what types of phone calls the Jazz make this offseason. I don't think you try and move Mike Conley. I don't think it's move Mike Conley at all costs. I think it's silly if you don't kick the tires and see – if there's a team out there that feels like they desperately need a point guard, they're willing to shed $30 million off their books, and they want to throw you a couple of first-round draft picks. Because the Jazz right now are a little bit hamstrung in the future if they sign Rudy Gobert and sign Donovan Mitchell and then don't have the number of first-round draft picks that they would like to have because they're going to miss out on next year's because of the Mike Conley trade. They already traded uh, Grayson Allen last year, and that's a young player that they don't have. You know, They traded a guy like Torian Prince, who would probably still be on this roster when they went out and got George Hill. So Brandon Clark, who's playing for the Memphis Grizzlies, who's so good, they lost him uh, this year in that trade, or Darius Baisley actually ended up being the pick, but that got traded. So they are lacking 
young first-round talent on contracts that they control for seven years. And if you don't have that, it gets really hard to become a championship contender because every good team hits randomly on a guy in the 20s or in the 30s. I know that's the second round, but has one of those guys that comes in and contribute. And it's why Oklahoma City is interesting because they went out and got a guy like Luke Dort who was unsigned and undrafted and turned him into a really good player. And so if you don't have that, there's really strong potential for you to struggle. And the Jazz don't have those draft picks other than the 23rd pick now coming up this season. You almost guaranteed you have to hit on that. And by having so few swings at the plate, you really limit your opportunity, I think, to have that success. So I think it would be smart for the Jazz to kick the tires, see if there's anybody out there who wants to take on Mike Conley at $30 million, and see if it makes sense. And certainly there's no gun to your head. You don't have to do it. But if there's the right situation, the right move, or someone just wants to get out of a little bit of a longer contract, at that type of money, it might be helpful. I, I get everything you said there, but the two things I'd say, one is, uh, I, thought the, I thought Conley was playing pretty well. Well, no, not pretty well. I think he was playing very well the last 12 games before everything stopped, and I thought he played well in the bubble until he left. So it's kind of like you've invested all this time getting him up to speed and comfortable scheme surroundings teammate all that now it's time to cash in on it so if the, i mean if the deal's a home run you know you always upgrade but it it better be really good cuz they've invested a lot here and it seems like they've finally gotten to a good place yeah i agree i don't think you do it just because you feel like you have to i'm also a fan of teams that are smart and play the cards that they're dealt and don't say well we made this one decision and now we're going to see that through regardless yeah. and i think smart teams in the past have traditionally done that type of thing. And it doesn't always work out, and it's certainly not a perfect model. But I do think one of the cards are being played right now, and I don't think it's hard to see. I think it's really fair to say Donovan Mitchell is better playing that position. And I know the Jazz stretch of basketball was against not great opponents from December 4th when Mike Conley got hurt right before the Lakers game and January 16th when he came back. I think that was New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, I don't think you can look at Donovan Mitchell there and say, no, that's not his best version. Because he did it last year, too. When Ricky Rubio got hurt and Dante Exum got hurt and Howell Neto got hurt and Donovan Mitchell had to take over a point guard in January, and all of a sudden the Jazz were fantastic again and went, whatever, 10-3 and three or 18-4. and four. They've gone on these crazy runs back-to-back, and then he has 57 against the Nuggets in the playoffs, and you just think, huh. And you know what the other problem is, ultimately, and I think it's a major issue, is how small that backcourt is with Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell, where if you put Donovan at the one and you can go get a guy who's, look at, you know, Torrey Craig, who I know was not great last night, but Torrey Craig last night uh, or throughout the season is 6'5", 6'6", I mean, maybe 6'4", but he's much bigger. He can defend most positions uh, in the backcourt. I think the Jazz might need a guy like that more importantly than they do necessarily at Mike Conley. Do you think there's a reluctance by Jazz management to put Donovan there? I don't think so. I think there might have been before now. I would be surprised if they were afraid to do it. I mean, at the latest, you're probably doing it after next season if you keep Mike Conley around and he expires. And maybe you even resign Mike Conley. So, so maybe at the moot point. But I, I, I don't think there's going to be the hesitancy to do it now because of how well he's played and because his passing has gotten so much better. And it was interesting to hear him and DJ, to go back to your point of guys looking better and doing mm-hmm. homework and how they use this time, Donovan Mitchell a few times you know, during the practices from late June to through July, really, just said, I'm just working on my passing. I'm working on my vision. I want to get better. And I feel like I'm not seeing three times a game, two times a game, Rudy Gobert standing under the paint with his arms up saying, where's the ball? 
why am I not catching the ball right now? It feels like Donovan Mitchell's always delivering on that pass and finding shooters and recording, what do you have, seven assists last night. I, I think you're seeing those types of things more commonly from him that makes him look like a more of a modern point guard. So on your point as far as draft picks, uh, yes, you have to have inexpensive players in your rotation because you can't afford to pay everybody in your rotation. So the question is, any of these second-round picks, and I get the rules on them hitting free agency are different and can be problematic, but nonetheless, do you think they have inexpensive young talent in these guys that we've started to see in the bubble? Uh, and, and pick your favorite guy. I don't know if you like Morgan. I don't know if you like Mieoni, but whoever. Yeah, it's probably a little bit of what have you done for me lately because a couple of days ago you probably would have said Jarrell Brantley and then after what Juan Morgan did last night, you really see, oh, that, that makes sense. And is that the guy who can hit a corner three and then rebound as well as he did? Well, the new 3 and D player isn't Royce O'Neal because every team has that guy. It's not like that's a unique thing to have. I and mean, Denver has four of those guys. Oklahoma City has four of those guys. It is this kind of power forward who rebounds and shoots threes. And it's not, you know, we used to talk about kind of these finesse big men that shoot threes, and and they're still all over the league. And just the next development is that you have to be better than that. And so the next development is, okay, he plays really good defense. Now, Boyan Bogdanovich is such a good offensive player that he's not a great defender, but he's so good offensively, he's not going to get replaced by a guy like Juwan Morgan. But some of these guys like Nemanja Bialica, who plays in Sacramento, who can't play any defense at all. Nicola Melli, who plays in New Orleans, who can't play any defense at all. Juwan Morgan, all of a sudden, if he can hit 40% on corner threes and then actually rebounds and plays a lot of defense and isn't getting four rebounds a night, is getting seven and eight, that's the next change in what this NBA cycle looks like. And they can guard two through five. And that's what's going to be really interesting, and that's got to be the next development. And I actually think you're seeing it with both Juwan Morgan and Jarrell Brantley. That's who those guys have to be. And Juwan, uh, Brantley's not a great defensive rebounder yet. Uh, it looks like Juwan Morgan has more skill than that. But maybe might fit, too. I mean, it's not hard to see. And I think the first time I saw it, you guys remember kind of the big drama midseason was Mieoni and Dante Exum got into a fight, and Dante Exum stormed out of the gym. And I remember looking at that and thinking, like, oh, Mieoni actually has more fight in him than I expected because he frustrated Dante Exum so bad that he left practice. So that's the thing I think you do want to see. And then he's really smart. He moves the ball well. He's not trying to put the ball on the ground, but he can tack a closeout. And then he can shoot threes. It's not crazy to think he could be a better player two years from now than Royce O'Neal, just because he has a little bit of a more complete skill set and he's more skilled offensively. So I think they actually do have some young talent. I don't know if any of them are the sixth guy on your roster, and I think that's probably what you need. So I figure you're picking the Nuggets, but are you picking them in four and five and six? What do you think? I don't know if I'm picking the Nuggets yet. I mean, they've beat the Jazz four times in a row, and they keep being in these close games, and clearly they have the Jazz number. So I'm not ready to sink the Jazz quite yet. If they do beat them, I do think it's probably a six- or a seven-game series for Denver because I just don't – I can't imagine the Jazz being this many close situations and never figuring out what's going wrong late and figuring out how to get over the hump once or twice or that the Jazz aren't going to have a game where they hit 22 threes, and I know they did that against – Denver last Saturday and then went for a, you know, that dead stretch over the fourth quarter over the last six minutes that put the game to double overtime. I have a hard time imagining the Jazz aren't going to win a game just by shooting and then win a game just by the talent they have on the floor. So I think you're going to get two games from that. So I think at the shortest is six. But, man, if Denver keeps playing well, if Jamal Murray is taking this next step, they, they get really hard to beat. Ben, thanks for a few minutes. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you again. All right, guys. Thanks.